Well, hi again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Radio Free Acton. Glad to have you along today. Hope your day is going well. My name is Mark Vandermoss, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast of the Acton Institute. I want to encourage you to check out our archives. All our podcasts are at radio.acton.org. And also, uh, do check out the Acton Institute Power Blog at blog.acton.org for a daily dose of news, commentary, and a whole bunch of great links uh, over at the Power Blog every day for your edification and information. So bookmark those sites, and uh, once again, glad to have you along today as we uh, head into yet another round of podcasting greatness. Well, we are coming up on a significant anniversary in the history of the Christian church. Uh, In 2017, we will be celebrating or commemorating, uh, depending on your perspective, the 500th anniversary of the events that would precipitate the Protestant Reformation. Of course, it was on October 31st of the year 1517 that Martin Luther would post on the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church his 95 theses, intending, of course, that these theses uh, simply be debated among the theological faculty of the uh, of the Wittenberg University at which he taught. Uh, he was concerned about certain abuses that he saw in the Roman Catholic Church and a few theological points that he wanted to uh, discourse over. But, uh, of course, Martin Luther lived in the era of the printing press, and so his uh, theses were quickly copied down and then were printed off and sent off to all corners of Europe. And what followed from that was, of course, the Protestant Reformation, a major split in the church, and uh, a very significant event in the history of the church and of the world. And as we come on the 500th anniversary of that Protestant Reformation. It's uh, well worth our time to look back on it, consider the events that precipitated it, and to consider the impact of the Protestant Reformation on our modern world and and what the thing might look like going forward, too. And, of course, there are plenty of organizations that will be doing that over the coming years, churches and and, uh, universities, seminaries, uh, of course, will be uh, in the forefront of that. But one of the organizations that's taking the lead in commemorating the Protestant Reformation at 500 years is called Refo 500. And uh, Refo 500 describes itself as the international platform for knowledge, expertise, ideas, products, and events specializing in the 500-year legacy of the Protestant Reformation. Worldwide, they have more than 120 partners uh, that have joined their uh, commemorative uh, activities, and that number of partners is still growing. And they collaborate in order to offer a program and tell the story of the Reformation. They include Protestant and Catholic organizations, churches, universities, museums, cities, publishers, and so on and so forth. The director of Refo 500 is Dr. Herman Selderheist, whose academic home is at the Theological University of Apeldoorn in the Netherlands. He's the director, as I said, of Refo 500. And uh, the Acton Institute being a uh, broadly ecumenical, ecumenical organization, uh, we have the opportunity to meet with and host a lot of different people from around the world. And very recently, Dr. Selderheis was here in Grand Rapids at the headquarters of the Acton Institute. And he very graciously took some time out of his schedule to sit down with our own Paul Edwards to talk a little bit about his organization 
and what they do, what they hope to accomplish as we come up on that 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. Here's Paul Edwards. It's been our joy at the uh, Acton Institute this week to have as our guest uh, Herman Selderheis. He is a director of Refo 500 and professor for church history and church polity at the Theological University of Apeldoorn in the Netherlands. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, perfect, yes. Good. And uh, Refo 500 is a collaboration across denominations, which includes Catholics and Protestants, of more than 120 partners in academia, publishing, churches, museums, and cities to tell the story of the Reformation leading up to its 500th anniversary in 2017. Herman Selderheis is uh, the director, as I've stated, of uh, Refo 500, but he's also the author of several books, including uh, Calvin's Theology of the Psalms and John Calvin, A Pilgrim's Life. And Herman, it's great to have you here at the Acton Institute. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Refo 500, commemorating events that took place in 1517. What what was happening in the cultural context, the historical context of of, uh, of 1517 in Europe that precipitated what is now known as the Reformation? And maybe give us just, for, for the novices among us, a, a little brief history of what the Reformation is. Yes, well, um, 1517 is the, is the year in which uh, Martin Luther, uh, a professor monk in uh, Wittenberg in Germany, uh, posted uh, a couple of theses uh, against um, uh, what he saw as uh, things that were wrong in the church and in society, uh, things relating to um, ethics, uh, related to politics, related to theology. Um, and that was at a moment where the, the church and society were in a, in a crisis. Uh, there had been complaints about um, abuse of finances uh, by clerics, uh, uh, not a proper life for, for clerics, uh, too great a distance between rich and poor. Uh, so a lot of things were going on, questions about uh, you know, station, uh, states uh, in war against each other. Uh, church-state relations were, were quite complex. And in the middle of all those those uh, questions, those challenges, those uh, problems, there there was this this man in, in Wittenberg who said, well, maybe there's something wrong with, with, the, with the way we deal with, with God, and maybe we should change that. Uh, so he was one and a decisive factor in a whole situation of turmoil of uh, where are we going? What are we doing? And uh, so people were kind, quite at a loss. And um, so his his thesis and his new way of thinking about the God-man relation um, uh, turned into a movement that has been called the Reformation. Some call it a revolt uh, against the church. Uh, it ended up in a split in the church between Catholic and, and Protestant. It caused for a lot of changes. It also caused for a reaction within the Catholic Church. And uh, they say, well, he has a point there. We should do something about it. Uh, so some that agreed with Luther stayed in the Catholic Church and, and changed things there. Uh, but all in all, it was um, a movement started by one man, but a movement that was started in a situation where a lot of things were going on um, and a movement that has uh, consequences up until today. As much as it's possible or impossible to get into the head of another human being, particularly one like Luther who lived 500 years ago, 
what uh, Dr. Selderhaus uh, do you think was his intent? Did, you know, you talk about some viewing it as a revolt. Did he have malicious intent or benevolent intent? No, no, intent? no. He he didn't mean uh, to to cause all this. Uh, his 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 was a personal question. He was he was afraid to die. He was afraid of God. He could only see God as a as a judge, and that he he as as Luther he could not live up to the standards he thought God had for him. So he was afraid to die and to be lost forever. So he was in a way, looking for now who is God really and how can I fix my life in such a way that it's acceptable to God. And you know, he, he, he got into a personal crisis and then um, he, he read, he, he took the Bible and he read a passage that had been known for, for centuries. And he read that as this is my solution. It is the, the, the question is not how can I live up to God's norm but what has God done for me to save me from my problems? So he turned that around in a way, uh, instead of you know gaining um, like like uh, mileage points to get into heaven, he, he he said, "Well, what I read is that God has given me that ticket already, and now I have to live in 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 a life of of, uh, of being a servant uh, to Him." So that that was the chain. That was it was a personal thing. But uh, this was the heart of a uh, of of an issue around which there were other issues. Uh, he saw that there were uh, colleagues of him that had promised to live a devoted life, and they didn't do it. And there were complaints by people, by by farmers, that they were have had to pay too many taxes. And he says, "Well, that is wrong." Uh, he he had problems with. Uh, this this um, this this split between the clerical life and and the life uh, no uh, normal labor um, working in the family, um, but those were all things around it. His main concern was how can I live in such a way that my life is acceptable to God, and that question was the heart of the matter, and he was not the only one who dealt with that, and you can see that in the further developments, um, but. It seems as if this this question and the answer he gave was kind of a starting point, a turning point in in history, and it it um, it meant a total different approach toward many uh, issues. Calvin comes later, so John Calvin follows from Luther. What is what is the connection between Luther and Calvin? Um, well, you can say that Calvin was Luther's best student, um, but but Calvin uh, was of a later generation. Luther was born 1483. Calvin was born in 1509. So when Calvin comes on stage, then most of the discussions have taken place already. Uh, the, the the split in the church uh, cannot be turned back, and Calvin has to live with that. And and Calvin says, um, in, in a way, when when I look at what has happened ever since 1517, I can see Luther has a good point, and I agree with him on that. But um, Calvin says we need to do more. It's not just the God-man relation, but from that, uh, we also have to deal with the relations between human beings, uh, political matters, ethical matters. Uh, it's not enough to know that you're saved forever. You've got to live this life. Uh, he says uh, the Roman Catholic Church has a point. Uh, the way Luther puts it, it can be seen as quite easy. Uh, you got your, uh, to say it in such a way, you got your ticket to heaven, so uh, it doesn't matter how you live anymore. Calvin says the Roman Catholics have a point when they critique Luther on that, so we have to uh, 
to, to find a, a model for a sanctified life. So what Kelvin does is he, he picks up what Luther has in his theology and he, he, he builds around that a, 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 a worldview that relates to every part of life. So politics, uh, culture, uh, church, social life, education. So what then, following from Calvin, who's building on Luther and kind of maybe correcting some of the 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 faults, if we want to call it that, but mm-hmm. what then is the net result of that in terms of how the Reformation shapes ideological views on human freedom, human dignity, economics, work? Um, well, that, that's a lot uh, to ask and also then to answer. Uh, but I'll uh, I'll try to give some answer. Kelvin um, is uh, is also a humanist, a humanist in the sense that he has a this uh, this attention for the individual, um, and relating that, combining that with Luther's theology, it is a the the, the freedom of the individual man. There's, he's free towards God because he lives from what God has given him. Uh, he's also free towards other human beings because this is an individual with his or her own responsibility. Um, and um, so what, what Calvin does is uh, he takes the individual boy or girl and says, we need to, to educate this boy or this girl so that he or she can live a life in society, in the church, in politics, in culture, a life in which he or she can serve God. So that means for him uh, a good educational system. It means a political system in which there is freedom for people. It means for him an economical system uh, where you can can develop yourself, where you can make money in order to serve others. That is that is important. So not just making money for yourself. But Kelvin was. Um, the first one in the Protestant world to give a theological foundation under the the theory of raising interest out of money. The the idea was uh, you, you cannot get interest uh, from uh, from money because uh, then you do not work. You have made you, you make money work, and you can't get money out of that. So they left that to uh, mostly to Jewish people. They were the idea was they were sinners anyway, so they can sin with money. Um, Kelvin says, of course, if you work with money, that's work also. It's just a matter of what's the level of interest that you ask from a person. So this this idea of uh, his his idea of of working with money gave an impulse to uh, economics. So there is a direct line. Uh, from Calvin to ideas of freedom, of democracy, of economical development, of uh, cultural development. But it is always with Calvin that he says, but we have to see that the focus is on serving God and the other. So it can never be a freedom that that becomes a danger to my neighbor. It can never be an economical development that means that the poverty in 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 the in this in society in, increases. Uh, so it's no problem for Kelvin says to become a rich man. It is no problem to be successful in enterprising, but also always keep your focus on now. If I have that much money, if I have made such a fortune, what can I do with it for church, for society, for the individuals? One of the the areas of work uh, relative to the Reformation and Calvin in particular is, is that that may uh, maybe gets overlooked 
is the the Reformation view of non-work, and by that I mean the Sabbath principle, which there are some businesses in the 21st century, secular businesses who are practicing the Sabbath principle, Chick-fil-A among them, uh, who are saying we're going to take the Sabbath day Mm -hmm. and make it holy. Uh, Can you speak just for a moment about the Sabbath principle and and how – uh, how a vibrant, vital Sabbath principle, if it were put back into practice, I mean, we used to have the old blue laws here in the United States of America where, you know, no business was conducted on a Sunday. Um, why is why is that maybe not, we, maybe we need to get, get away from a legalistic view of the Sabbath and, and see the utilitarian nature of the Sabbath? Yeah. Yeah. The, see, there, there is, a, of course, as you mentioned, that a legalistic view of the Sabbath. Uh, you cannot find that in, in, in Kelvin nor in any of the other reformers. Uh, so Kelvin had no problem on, you know, going on a trip on Sunday, going on vacation on Sunday. He would do it after church. But he wouldn't mind traveling on Sunday. Uh, and, and still they, they have this view of the Sabbath. Uh, why, should peop- why should we have shops and, 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 and pubs open on Sunday? Uh, his, his idea, and that was the idea of the others uh, as well, uh, if, if people go to pub, they probably will not go to church. So let's just close these things. Apart from that, it was the idea, we should be careful not to become slaves of our work. Uh, we should be careful to pay attention to our family. We should be careful to pay attention to higher things than just material things. And the Sabbath day is a perfect day for that. So let's go to church. Let's relax. Let's uh, uh, have a communion with each other as a family or with people in our village in in those days. And let's get back to work on Monday. So not legalistic, but but see it as a as a gift, as something to rest, and also as a a day in which you are trained not to just focus on material things. And there there are utilitarian benefits to taking a day off. And in our work-a-day world, 24, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, constantly connected thanks to smart technology, we, we never disconnect. Uh, Calvin's era would not have had that issue. Uh, just this week, uh, w- uh, my home was without power mm-hmm. for about 48 hours. I got a lot done because the temptation to turn the television on wasn't there any longer. Yeah. And the sound of silence was beautiful. The, 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 but we, we live in an age and in, in an era uh, that is constantly connected, constantly full of noise. Is there a utilitarian benefit to business leaders who are listening to us to disconnect when it goes against everything that's in their nature to say, man, if I disconnect, I'm going to miss something. I'm going to lose a deal. I'm going to, I'm going to be out of the loop. What, what are the utilitarian benefits from disconnecting? Well, I think that there are many. And I, I understand also that the society in which we live is completely different from the one in the 16th century. And that's also the, the, the focus of Refo 500 is not to say they have the answers for us. But to say there, there are there is a similarity in, in problems and challenges in those days and in our days. So maybe we can learn from the way they dealt with the problems then for us today. Relating that to um, like this this day of rest, um, you, you cannot s- stop certain machines. You cannot close factories on on, on Sundays, and and um, the internet is is there, and it is sometimes really a relief. 
that it sometimes it's shut down, you know, uh, not on not on purpose, but because something happens. But that shouldn't go on for too long because then it people get hurt also. Um, so I think it it is a matter of training. Today is is Sunday. Let me let's imagine it's Sunday today. So what what must I do? How must I force myself to find this rest? Let's let's just do it, and then you you can see that it it helps. It, it is like. Sometimes you have to watch your diet. Sometimes you have to go for a walk, even though you don't have time for that. Take your time and you will see that you will get more out of it. You will, you will gain half an hour by walking for 50 minutes, you know, so to say. And, um, but that is something we, uh, we, we, we can discuss, we need to discuss. And there's a responsibility also for people who are in that position that they have uh, employees take care of their families, uh, don't overburden them. Um, so I think it's a good thing that we start that discussion uh, again uh, as as we see that it does not bring us all that good if we just constantly work. It's bad for your health. It's bad for the people around you. It's bad for nature. So let's start uh, thinking about how can we do that in this society in which we cannot stop just everything on Sunday. From the perspective of history, is it possible to make a correlation between the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, does one lead to the other? Does one influence the other? Or are these standalone ages within within their own cultures? No, I think there there are certain relations um, that, that's evident. Uh, I, I do not believe that one automatically comes from the other, Re- Renaissance, Reformation, Enlightenment. Um, there is in all three of these a, a special attention for the individual with his or her um, possibilities, uh, with his or her individuality and independence. Um, but what the, the great difference between Reformation and Enlightenment is that in the, in the Reformation, uh, there is this moment in which uh, people say, well, there is a limit to what we know, and we have to obey what is uh, in, in, in the Bible, in God's Word, and we should take care that we do not place ourselves above the authority of this word. That changes in the Enlightenment, of course. Um, but at the same time, Renaissance, Reformation, Enlightenment are three uh, uh, three movements, three names that, that entail so much, so many different, uh, there's a, such a variety in each three of them that it, you, you cannot just say in a few lines uh, how these relations are. But this, this, uh, this attention and this high value of the individual person, that's what unites these three uh, movements. And, and I think that is also something we need to see. In our society, we, uh, we, we do say, oh, we have found freedom and there's so much attention for the individual. I wonder if that is true. Uh, what I learned from the Reformation from someone like Philip Melanchthon, uh, Martin Luther's colleague, he says we should look at children uh, as subjects, not as objects. And in our society, we, we, we see that children are often see as an object. A child is something to whom I can sell a can of Coke or a, a baseball cap, you know, uh, to make for me a profit. Uh, should we go back and start seeing children and young people as individuals, as subjects, that we have to help them develop their gifts, the possibilities in order to live well, to enjoy life, and to serve others? As we stated at the beginning, REFO 500 is a collaboration of 120 
uh, different partners across uh, denominational lines, Protestants, Catholics, that includes cities, uh, businesses like travel agencies, um, museums, obviously academia, educational institutions, universities. What is the objective of Refo 500 uh, leading up to the 500th anniversary of Luther's theses in 1517, so leading up to 2017, and and then does it just go away? Does do do we just stop at 2017 and Refo 500 goes away? I, so I'm asking two questions. Yeah. The most important of which is what is the objective of Refo 500? What what is the purpose of the these collaborative efforts across these uh, various platforms? Well, the, the the purpose is to show the relevance of what has happened in the 16th century. So the Reformation, but we usually speak about the Reformations because there was the Catholic Reformation as well. There was an Anabaptist Reformation. The relevance of these movements for people of today. And uh, together with that, the goal is that all these partners, all these, in the meantime, there's 130 partners, that they all get something out of it. Through cooperation, through collaboration, um, our philosophy is that, uh, for example, Acton has uh, resources, has knowledge that is of use to other partners in Refo 500. Some of the other Refo 500 partners have things in their project that it can be a travel agent, it can be a city, it can be a university, it can be a publisher that Acton can make use of. So the idea is to cooperate and do that with a great variety of very different uh, partners. And uh, that works. And it works in such a way, to answer your second question, that most of our partners have said, well, don't stop uh, in 2017. This is a fantastic network. It goes th- over all continents. It's interdenominational. It's interdisciplinary. Uh, so let's keep going. Uh, 1517 was not the end of the Reformation. It was the beginning. And we got a lot of uh, big events coming up after 2017, so let's just uh, keep the show going. Refo 500 is, uh, because of its uh, ecumenical nature, has not been without its tensions. Uh, Catholics on the one side are saying, why should we celebrate uh, Martin Luther? Uh, And in that regard, has the Catholic view officially of Martin Luther softened over 500 years? The flip side of that is Reformed uh, people in reform circles, and I'm in that circle, but I, I happen not to be one of of these who who kind of had an, have an attitude of belligerence that says, uh, if I can't I can't find myself cooperating with the the Catholic Church, how how are you if you are uh, dealing with these tensions, these ecumenical tensions? The Catholic view on the one side, the refer- the Reformed view on the other, on the on the idea of cooperation between p- particularly these two Catholic and Reformed bodies. Well, it is a it is a challenge, but it's a it's a fascinating challenge. Uh, we really enjoy it, and we we see that when uh, when when people meet in person from both sides or from various sides, then things happen, things change. Um, uh, no one is no partner in Refo 500 is forced to cooperate with the other partner. You can choose your own partners to work with. Uh, what we see is that uh, these these uh, these initial fears, you know, as a reformed institution, Catholics, you know, they're dangerous and they condemned the Lutheran Reformation. So stay away from them. 
uh, that when you work together, they see, well, these are also institutions that, for instance, work with the Bible. They, they have a message for the world. Uh, we have too, so maybe we can cooperate in some things. But then you, you have to meet in person. But like I said, no one is forced to work with each other. Um, and at the same time, um, we, we, we do see that, that things happen. We have, as Rifu 500, has no official stand on the Reformation. We do not say Luther is good or bad, Catholics are good or bad, Protestants are good or bad. Uh, we take the Reformation as an event that affected the whole of Europe and, in fact, the whole world. It affected the church of those days. It affected young people. It affected a culture and politics and society. And it has an impact up until today. And uh, Catholics and, and uh, Lutherans and Reformed and, and, and uh, all kinds of people uh, see that, notice that. So let's see what it means for us. And uh, over the years, we have seen that bridges have been built and that misunderstandings have been uh, taken away. Uh, last year, we had the Jubilee of the Heidelberg Catechism, 450 years Heidelberg Catechism. At the same time, the Jubilee of the Council of Trent. We had conferences where we brought these together, you know. Uh, what does such a document mean in, in which one uh, gives a curse over the other? What does that mean for the situation of today? What can we learn from that? And each uh, partner can keep his or her own position on that, but we, uh, we like to have communication, and, and let's, let's talk about it. So it works. How can our audience learn more about Refo 500? Um, there are various uh, possibilities. There is the web, website, refo500.com. It's a website in uh, you can choose uh, English, Dutch, German, or Korean. Uh, you can sign up for a newsletter that comes out every month and that keeps you informed about all the activities that are going on. There's conferences, there, there's books, but the best way is to uh, go to the website, and if you want more information, just uh, send us an, uh, an email. You can find the address on the website. Herman Selderheis, it's been an honor to have you here at the Acton Institute, and thanks for spending time with us here on Radio Free Acton. Thanks for your time and for the kind questions. Well, that about wraps it up for this week's podcast. I want to thank my colleague Paul Edwards, who, as usual, does a fantastic job uh, as an interviewer. I want to thank Herman Selderheis, who took some time out of his busy schedule here while he was stateside to join us in the Acton Studios and to talk a bit about his organization and the work of his organization. And, of course, I want to offer my thanks to you, our faithful listeners, without whom it would not really be worth doing a podcast. So thank you so much for subscribing and listening today. Please check our archives at radio.acton.org. The mission of the Acton Institute, of course, is to promote a free and virtuous society characterized by individual liberty and sustained by religious principles. We offer a lot of different programs. We sponsor a lot of activities in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area and elsewhere. If you want to know more about those programs or activities, visit our website at www.acton.org. My name is Mark Vandermoss. It's been my pleasure to welcome you today, and I wish you well as we go forward. Please do join us again for our next edition of Radio Free Acton.